This is a fourth-hand production. Well, and the problem is I think we yeah. got a long way to go looking at what we're currently using. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah rockets, that's a laugher. You know, it's like pre, like cavemen <laughs> trying to make their way out of a tunnel. You know, it's Rockets, insane. basically from the 40s. Yeah, yeah, bear knives and uh, bear claws and and, and <laughs> stone knives is what we're using right now. But. Yeah, it is crazy. I mean, they they mastered that what Jack Parsons did Jack in the forties or something, and now that's still what we're using today. Like, surely yeah. there's got to be something. Well, it's expensive as heck. I oh, mean, absolutely. Could, yeah, you could take a, a supercar up if you have the power system in there working. It could lift stuff into outer space at pennies. Story in the news today. You believe in ghosts and the paranormal? Now, are they are they UFOs or are they like some crazy experimental, you know, governmental? I don't know. Planes that they're both. In Española, are catching more than just criminals. They're catching images of what they believe are ghosts. There's this weird animal-like creature that was shot, wolf-like creature that just stood out in some odd ways. And welcome everybody to Strange Uncles. I am Shane, and I am John. I'm Josh. Nice and easy, sleazy. So, um, welcome everyone to another episode. Uh, I do want to kind of kick this off, number one. So, this is just a personal thing, and I've been in Utah for three years now, but I, for the life of me, cannot get used to the springtime weather. It drives (laughs) me crazy. You talking about how it was 70 degrees and then snowed? yesterday yeah and then snow this morning and then the sun came out when i drove home and everything was all happy and normal yeah Yeah, it's a beautiful day now (laughs) yeah absolutely so yeah that's uh it's weird it is weird welcome to utah if you don't like the weather wait five minutes (laughs) you know it's so funny as i've heard i've been in like so many other places like you know what they say about wisconsin wait i'm like oh i know god (laughs) <laughs> I mean, basically, if you live anywhere near mountains, the weather is going to be a little bit unpredictable. But also, if you live anywhere that's flat but also humid, the weather's going to be unpredictable. Right, so. right. No, all fair. And you know what? I guess it – and, you know, you guys got your seasons here. You know, of course, Washington State is a little bit different. But I don't know. I just woke up this morning, and I, I didn't know what I was walking out to, and I kind of wasn't dressed appropriately. Oh, and yeah. then I drove to work in a hailstorm, and then all of a sudden, <laughs> it just was weird. That's what it is. Yeah, we have it's seasons strange. here. It is strange yeah. for sure. Yeah, for the sure. seasons are hot and cold. Yeah. Absolutely. And sometimes they happen in the same day. Yeah, the same hour at times. But anyway, um, want to share that. Also want to share, uh, we've got some actually really good feedback. Some of you may not had a chance to listen to it. We had a news episode, uh, the April for TN News, and we were able to actually record that in Rachel, Nevada, more specifically close to Area 51 in the gate. And I uh, already gotten good feedback about it. just it was awesome listening to us just kind of shoot the shit at the little alien and time to record and the guests we had on. And, and I don't know, I, I look back on it and it was very, very surreal. I immensely enjoyed it on my side. Yeah. Um, a very much sober outing and <laughs> not you know. one drop of 
illicit substance was yeah. consumed. Mm. I wish we would have at least drank a beer while we were out there. Yeah. yeah. I should well, have you know. kept my Bible at home and not you know, took we the were on a school cleanse. bus. Yeah. It is what you know. it is. But you know. but it was fun. What are you going to do? Yeah. It was Lent. Yeah. Or whatever that is. <laughs> whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> Lent, 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 whatever. But uh, Lance, it was Slanny. <laughs> what are you going to do? It was Lance. Right. I don't know. It was just really cool. That whole visit was cool. Uh, it was neat uh, actually seeing Connie West in person. It was neat uh, just seeing the people that live out there. And of course, you know, for those of you who may listen, um, don't miss out because we had some chance encounters that I, I don't think is going to be repeated anytime soon. And uh, I don't know. It was a nice little let's do this last thing before I move back. And um, yeah, mm-hmm. I want to take it back to the world. It's no, fun. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah. It was a lot of fun. And Rachel's a really interesting place. Like if you ever have the opportunity to make that trip, I recommend it. Absolutely. Like even if you're just stopping off for a beer on your way to somewhere else, it's, I mean, if you're going that way to get to somewhere else, then you're doing it wrong anyway. But yeah, um, where, are you, where are you going? <laughs> That's a little out of the way. You've taken a wrong 300 mile turn. <laughs> if you can get out there, even if you're not going to like stay and like check it out for a while, even if you are just going to stop in and have a beer and a burger, it's well worth it. Oh, absolutely. And I think if you really want to, if you got the aim to clear your mind, that's a place to do it. Cause I forgot all about reality for a bit and, and it was mm-hmm. pleasant for a change, you know? So. Yeah. Anyway, um, with that being said, we're going to roll into the interview here. We actually were lucky enough to have went this for a while. Uh, we had a guy by the name of Mark Fiorentino on. Uh, he wrote a book called Master of Reality. But I think beyond that, when you listeners listen to the, to the recording, um, it, it actually is very phenomenal. The work he's done, the notes that he's compiled, the time it took him to do that, his passion for uh, super relativity, Einstein's theory, uh, theories that he's come out with. Um, I, I don't know. Personally, I was blown away. Uh, I mean, that's the correct term for it. I was definitely blown away. Um, yeah, I need to go back to school. <laughs> you could kind of made you feel yeah. like, geez. By the time uh, the time was up, I was like, I feel like we're just getting started. This is... Yeah, I, I feel like that could have... I feel like we could have talked to him for a lot longer, and I could have also been like, one more time with that one. <laughs> Could you slow yes. down and say it again? I went to public school, sir. <laughs> yeah, but no, it was crazy. really, really fascinating, and uh, I can't wait to listen back to this and kind of just yeah. really absorb kind of the things he was talking about. So I'm excited for everybody to get to listen to it for the first time. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So we're going to go ahead and roll that interview now. Um, again, this is a book written called Master Reality, and it's written by Mark Fiorentino. And uh, fascinating topics all together. Uh, open the gates. Right. Um, Mark Fiorentino is a self-taught metaphysician who worked as an accomplished troubleshooter for technology companies such as IBM and Harris Government Systems. When he was introduced to Einstein and his idea of the unified field theory at a very early age, he was so impacted by it that he made it his life's work to continue to learn and eventually developed his own research that he calls the theory of everything. Mark answers a question such as, how was the universe created? Is it possible to construct an anti-gravity field? Can we break the light speed barrier? And if so, how? He answers questions like these along with other secrets of the universe, and we are ecstatic to have him on the show. Mark, welcome to Strange Uncles. Thank you for having me. 
Yeah. Um, you know, you are from Florida, I believe, correct? So it looks like your weather's a lot better than our weather, unfortunately. Uh, yes, it's uh, pretty good over here, 70s and 80s mostly this past week. Very oh, pleasant. Fantastic. Yeah, we can't compete with that. <laughs> nope. Well, absolutely I miss not. the cold sometimes. I'd, I'd like to see the snow again. It's beautiful to watch it fall, but not it's nice to watch it around in. Yeah, it's nice to watch it fall, and then uh, that's it. That's it, right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So that's how long have you been in Florida, Mark? Oh, gosh, this has been 20-something years uh, now. Oh, wow. Uh, I, I was kind of raised here as a kid and then moved away for about 16, 17 years, and then I uh, moved back, and I've been here for over 20 years now. Wow, that's amazing! I never made that part of the country. To be honest with you, I was in the Navy, but never traveled traveled down down that far. So one of these days, hopefully. But uh, yeah. you know, and number one, th- thanks for taking your time. Much appreciated. I know we got a little bit of a time difference, so thank you for accommodating that. Uh, okay. We've been looking forward to this for a while, and so uh, just so the listeners know, I actually picked up your book, A Master of Reality. Um, this is your latest and greatest, and, and I, I believe your your only book, correct? You have one in the works, but this is your your current one out. I had a, a book before this that I've taken off right now, uh, off the market. It's just a fiction book. It's kind of slightly based on, on this idea, uh, and I thought maybe I should try doing a fiction book to introduce everybody to my ideas, and um, it was mainly written by a ghostwriter and myself. Mm. And I just, I'm taking that off. I may put it back on Amazon at some point, but I'm going to go down this path. I decided I really need to write the book myself, the whole thing, and put all the ideas and the theory out there. And so I guess that was just like a warm-up or a practice. This is the real deal here. And um, so that's, that's where we're at. Yeah, I um, I'll tell you honestly, it it's an amazing read. I'll, I'll be hundred percent honest. I ordered it Thank too you. late, folks. Um, I actually I didn't get all the way through the thing. Uh, I got about halfway through. Uh, for those of you on video, it is Master of Reality, uh, fantastic read so far. Um, so you know, hopefully we're not amiss as far as what you have in the book. But how it's structured, how it's layered out, is is pretty amazing to be honest with you. Um, and I guess we can start there if you're okay with that, Mark. Let's kind of you know we ask a lot of our our guests that come on the show. Um, you know, kind of how they got to where they're at. So, you know, when you when you had this whole idea and this uh, this idea of Einstein's unified theory, I guess we'll start there. And it was presented to you when you you were young. Um, let's start at that beginning of the road, if you don't mind, and we can kind of kind of go from there. Sure. Yeah, um, it, it was just kind of a fluke thing that happened as a result of me going to catechism and the nuns asking all the kids in the class to go find a saint born on their birthday. And in that time, there was no internet. There was no way to do anything of uh, research that was really in depth and get, you know, find somebody on your birthday that was a saint. So I just asked my parents and then I looked on the calendar and I noticed that Albert Einstein had the same birthday as myself. So I just went to the encyclopedia and started reading about Einstein and I, I guess I made a report on Albert Einstein. <laughs> I, I don't remember what I delivered to them, but I, since there was no saint that I knew of, uh, that's what I, I wound up studying. And I just fell in love with the whole idea. I, uh, as I was reading, I uh, was introduced to the unified field theory uh, in the Encyclopedia Britannica as well. 
And when I read that, I said, this is the best idea I've ever heard. This makes <laughs> so much sense. It resonated with me. Even though I was 10 years old, it's like I was remembering something that I already knew somehow. And I just couldn't quite mm-hmm. remember everything. And so then I had this great thirst to go out and, you know, I became very interested in science after that. That became my favorite topic in school. And uh, as the years went by, I would read UFO books, you know, because I was figuring these advanced people would know about the unified field theory and they seemed to have some sort of anti-gravity technique going. So I was reading those books to see if I could get information on uh, any clues that were in the books. And there were clues in those books about how um, UFOs uh, created anti-gravity. So everything I read and, and, and saw on TV, any kind of science shows, any kind of speakers that were talking about the universe, about Einstein and so forth, I just gobbled all that up over the years. <laughs> and as time went by, I began to get ideas. And, and I started doing what Einstein did. I would do little mind experiments in my head. And I would try to look at the photon and watch it as it traveled through space. Uh, to look at how particles move. And over the years, you know, these ideas came up. And in the last, I'd say about 10 years before I retired, I started making notes, not really thinking about writing a book, but just trying to make sense out of everything. And one by one, the clues linked together to make sense. And then out came the, the theory of super relativity, which basically started in the year 1993 when I, I first wrote a paper about it back then. But it just kind of laid in my head for many years. I played with it over the years, and eventually, you know, it became a solid theory. And then I compiled my notes the first day of retirement. I started writing the book. Four years later, I finished. Four years. I, I was going to ask if that's how long it took. Because I know, obviously, you know, your time, you've worked for IBM and some of the other companies. And so this really kind of came to fruition when you decided to retire. You had nothing better to do. And, and it kind of came to, in the same basket at that point. Yeah. Yeah. I was just, I just decided I, I, w- I wanted to have something to do when I retired. <laughs> and I had all these ideas. I was always trying to do inventions and stuff especially uh, inventions concerning, you know, perpetual motion, because that right. has great applications for power generation. Mm-hmm. And I knew that that would be something if we ever built UFOs, or we were going to need a very large, compact energy source to drive the, the coils and the magnets that I now know for sure is what the UFOs are using uh, they're using superconducting magnets to right. create intense magnetic fields. And those are out of those fields comes the anti-gravity field. Well, and I explain all that in the book. Yeah. I was going to say, if you don't, you know, and this is just because we, maybe it's because we just recently got back from a trip that <laughs> is pretty much, we were telling you off the air a bit, uh, you know, we came back from area 51. Um, do you mind talking a little bit more about the anti-gravity theory uh, kind of what the ins and outs of that could possibly be? Yeah, it, it's actually really simple and straightforward. Uh, I got to it by working on the gravity problem. I says, if you want to understand anti-gravity, you first got to understand how gravity works. So 
I, I really dug into that, and that's Einstein's unified field theory, which basically says electromagnetism and gravity emerge as aspects of a single fundamental field. And, and so I studied, made sure that the fundamental field existed, and I found that it did. It's the ether. And uh, so gravity is just a bending of space. It's a certain type of bending. There's several things, ways you can bend a quasi-elastic solid. And one of those mm-hmm. ways is to cause it to contract. So gravity is a contraction of space. So what then mm-hmm. would be anti-gravity? Uh, it's got to be the other way, right? You've got to somehow make space expand. Right. And when you do that, you change the, the pressure gradient in, in, in space because gravity is a, is a pressure gradient field as well. You know, it's, it gets more and more intense as you get closer to the origin or the source of gravity. Sure. So anti-gravity is, is um, created by stretching space. And how do you do that? You use a magnetic field. And why does a magnetic field stretch space? Because we already know, thanks to Michael Faraday and and so forth, that magnetism is really a rotation of space. And so when moving charges, which are twists of space, they look a lot like, this is going to be hard to see, but let me just hold it up there. See see that? Okay, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's a particle. If we could see them, that's what they look like. They're small vortex-like shapes. They're spiral shapes. They're twisted around. And so when those particles move through space, space rotates because the particle is a spiral shape. So space mm-hmm. rotates around the particle. And when it does that rotation, that creates the magnetic field. And when that happens, this motion, all this twisting motion – stretches space and now Hmm. you get as a byproduct of the magnetic field the anti-gravity field but it takes a lot of current a lot of power through the uh, wires to create a really strong magnetic field because that's what you need like tens or hundreds of teslas of power to create this magnetic field strong enough to create enough stretching so that you cancel the gravitational contraction field that's below you. Hmm. So UFOs do this by, you know, lining the bottom of their craft uh, with these strong magnets. And you'll see on a lot of UFO landing sites, you'll notice that there is a clockwise or counterclockwise motion detected, you know, in the, in fields Uh like where there's weed or something. So that's an indication that there's a vortex thing going around. And how you do that with a magnetic field is you have many magnets and you're turning them on and off real quick. So it's spinning around. Hmm. So you see the bottom of the ship, the magnetic field's turning on and off, on and off, and and it's doing it really rapidly, like maybe 100 cycles per second or something. So that's why they hear, some people hear a little low hum when they're near a, a UFO. Right, right. And... Back when I was reading books about um, UFOs, when I was a teenager and such, uh, one of the the episodes I read was a UF, a UF U.S. Air Force um, colonel or a captain, might have been a captain, he brought to a UFO landing site a magnometer. And as soon as I read that, I said, hey, 
Why? What do you know that everybody <laughs> else doesn't know? Why did you bring a magnometer to a UFO landing site? Right. Yeah. And, and sure enough, they, they'd make some measurements and they measured a blade of grass and found it to be magnetized. Hmm. More evidence rolling in. If you look through these books, you'll see magnetism keeps popping up and UFO sighting after UFO sighting. I can go on and on of other people, physicists in some case that were looking at a UFO through uh, polarized lenses, uh, sunglasses, and they saw bands of light coming from the UFO, which is indication that it's polarized. And it takes one hell of a strong magnetic field to polarize light, but it can be done. Right. Uh, And Michael Faraday was the first one to actually discover that many, many. That man was a genius, by the way. (laughs) <laughs> many, many years ago. Well, and so that, there's loads of information pointing to magnetism right. is what's causing the anti-gravity field. Right. And that, and I would assume that also explains a lot of the, especially some of the older reports of, of cars being disrupted. You know, everything shuts down when they do have these sightings. That all comes yes. hand in hand with what you're discussing. Yeah. Uh, having a, a background in electronics, helped me learn about how electromagnetism can interfere with cars and radios. You hear about the radio station changing by itself. I used to play experiments with my little AM radio back in the 60s and 70s, put a magnet close to it, and I could change the the station because of the inductive uh, components inside of the uh, radio. And I noticed, hey, hmm, this changes the radio station, just like the UFOs do, and causes... They sometimes hear a hum, or it goes off frequency altogether, and then the, the, the power, the current, is interrupted uh, in the car uh, components, in the wiring to the engine. All this is interfered with, and that takes a magnetic field that's in motion. A static magnetic field, even a really strong one, won't mess with stuff as bad as a magnetic field in motion. Mm-hmm. So there's another indication that they're not only using a magnetic field, but they're either turning it on and off or they're rotating it somehow. So this all really fits together. It makes sense when you connect all these clues together. I am firmly convinced they're using magnetic fields uh, Hmm. to get through space to create anti-gravity. And it also assists, well, not just assists, it's, it's the way to break the light speed barrier. Yes, actually, and that's actually in our notes on our side. We want to get in that, I think, a little bit later on. But, um, you know, you touched on it briefly when you were talking about you know, the military showing up with some of these encounters with the magnometer and, and you know, what they're seeing. Um, I mean, it goes without saying that we're, we're assuming that the government has had a hold of this or at least some known collaboration of what this is for, for quite some time, I'm, I'm assuming. Uh, yeah, probably like most people say, back in the late 1940s, mid 40s, somewhere in there when uh, Roswell happened, hmm. uh, they've been collecting these crashed. There's multiple ones over the years, and just this country alone, they may have been able to grab some in some of these other third world countries that uh, the people were not able to really get to it. Uh, the crash sites, and they. They come in there with, they stream in there with the army and the helicopters. They pick up everything and they're out of there before anybody has a chance to say it's anything. Even blink, blink an eye. It's already done. Yeah. Yeah. So they probably by this time captured four, five, six, maybe UF crashed UFOs. 
they happen. They happen in other parts of the world too. I suspect China maybe has the technology now, mm-hmm. um, but I'm certain the U.S. Uh, the USA has very uh, highly advanced systems now, and they probably also been working with aliens. Have I seen any of this firsthand? No. <laughs> uh, I've not, you know, been working at Area 51 or anything like this. Is just from reading, just like you guys do, mm-hmm. and deducing that. Yeah, come on, let's let's just face it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of hard to ignore at this point. Sightings, and I do know yeah. of one case where a person saw a UFO very close up, within touching distance, and they saw the markings on there. And this oh. particular UFO came from here. Oh, wow. United States yeah. Air Force had markings on it. Huh. Uh, Interesting. Those people never came forward. You'll not find them anywhere. I was contacted mm. by them directly. And um, Wow. Uh, do, do we have it? Yeah, we do. And, yeah. and maybe one of these days they're going to come forward. I think they're getting close because, you know, the whole thing that happened out in California with the Tic Tacs and everything, it seems like information is starting to – slowly leak out of the system and yeah, uh, become more mainstream and not so. So um, maybe we're getting to the point where they're going to finally make an announcement at some point. I, I hope so. Cause it would be a great benefit to mankind to have this technology. Absolutely. Yeah, it would. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I, yeah, it's a sad thing that, uh, you know, how they, I guess spoon feed is, is the word. Um, but anyway, you know, we, we don't want to take the whole time on UFOs, but I, I caught that right off the very beginning of the book because of, of how you kind of painted that picture. Um, so I appreciate the, the you know, elaboration on that for sure. Um, there's one other thing that I had a question on, uh, and it's something that you have, it's a theory you have on slip wave. And I'd like to, you know, let's see if you can't kind of elaborate on that a bit. Yeah, the the slip way. I actually have a drawing over here. I don't know if I could share this with you or not. Where is that drawing? There it is. Can I share the screen for a second? So I do have it marked a multiple participants. So you should be able to. Did it change on your side, Mark? Yeah, yeah. I think it's it's letting me do it. Here we go. All right. And here we share. Right. And uh, you can look at this for a second. There you go. There's a slip wave for you. There we go. Oh wow! <laughs> it's a it, it's a density vortex. Remember that shape I showed you the shell. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Here you see it again. So you have the point right here. This is where the rotation of space starts. Electrical charge, the Coulomb force charge, is a rotation of space. This is what it looks like. So this is basically an electron. So as it begins to rotate, it goes through more and more degrees until you get to 90 degrees and then 180 degrees, and it's back on the x-axis again. Uh, So what we see when we use uh, experiments in the lab, we see a spherical shape for the electron. Mm -hmm. But that's really because we're not seeing this particular dimension, which is what I'm showing you is the, the gravitational type of the anti-gravitational effects that are going on because there's, um, as we wind this rotation, space becomes thinner and thinner. The more you wind it, the more it stretches. Mm -hmm. So the pressure drops. So across this plane here, 
this line, this x-axis, I'll call it. Uh, from here, you've got normal pressure. When you get to the rear end, it's very low pressure. So the pressure from the outside of space that's not bent or in any particular way is pushing in, pushing in like this. Oh, so okay. that whole thing is going to be directed where the green arrow is mm-hmm. in that direction. So hmm. so the slip wave is just a rotation of space that goes around, and as it winds more and more around, space becomes thinner, less dense, the pressure drops, and this creates a pressure gradient within the particle, and that's the cause of particle motion. So what we do, or what I decided to do, is to emulate that to build a spacecraft. I says this hmm. works for the particles. All particles move like this if you can imagine a bubble in water it goes up because of the pressure gradient there's a pressure gradient in the ocean itself it's it's much stronger at the bottom of the ocean and less as you go up so the bubble is a very low pressure very low density compared to the water it's literally pushed up from the bottom and rises to the surface this is a very similar phenomena that I'm showing you right here. It's literally pushed in the direction of its uh, conical shape there hmm. uh, from the back end forward. And so this describes how particles move. And at the same time, I say, hey, we could use this same concept, this same design to create um, spacecraft. All we have to do is make a uh, gradient field that – exists within the ship and you use the magnetic fields in ever increasing see how i see these these little yellow rings here mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. imagine each one of those let's say you had a, a spaceship that was shaped like a cigar shape and lord knows we've seen a lot of those in the skies oh, over yeah. the years well you put a ring here and you turn a magnetic field on air really strong one then the next ring you turn on and this one, the magnetic field is even stronger. Then you go to the next magnetic field ring, and you turn that even harder. And then the final one here is turned on really hard. What you do is you create a pressure gradient across that x-axis again, and now that whole spaceship moves within the slipway bubble hmm. and, and bends space outward uh, with the biggest bending outward at the rear of the ship. So that thing is going to be pushed forward. Exactly. Okay. And that's how the slip wave works. I'll be now, damned. <laughs> now I can get back to uh, unsharing this screen oh, here. You're fine. And why, so why we got you, just this little caveat for our listeners. So regular listeners, unfortunately, you probably won't be able to see it. But if you are a Patreon member, uh, we will. we are recording this. So we'll probably have this a link for, so you can see this in video because it is pretty amazing. Um, how long did it actually take you to, to formulate this question one? And part two of the question would be, how come this isn't talked about? How can, I, mean, I mean, really, if you look at the basis of it, it's not that hard to understand. So right. why are we in the situation we're in currently with technology? Well, let's say a multi-headed problem there. As okay. I see, when I think of this, I think of like a multi-dragon head. Uh, you've got the physicists, basically, who have been led down the quantum mechanics road. Well, the quantum mechanics road, you know, they don't really like to talk about an objective reality, a real physical objective reality. They don't believe in the ether. 
they don't believe in, you know, um, the quasi-elastic solid that is space in actuality. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're not going to think there, and they're not going to go there. And if you, you talk to a lot of them, they get angry. So these guys normally are not going to go down that road of thinking about it like Einstein was. He never gave up on differential equations and, and the bending of space. Well, you can't bend something that's not there. Right. And since most people nowadays think that space is a completely empty void made of nothing, um, they just don't pursue this hmm. this um, old classical physics uh, technique that I use in my book, and I'm working on the mathematical model right now and programming it into the computer. So I have to teach myself how to program and then put it in because I need I'll, I know what exactly needs to happen. So rather than to try to explain it to a programmer, I just do it myself. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> and, um, Fair enough. Yeah, that's yeah. amazing. So I'm almost done with that, but I'm yeah. going to need that kind of firepower to back this mm-hmm. up because uh, mm-hmm. I need to get this to scientists at some point. And, and I do have some lined up a very open-minded fellow I met at an anti-gravity conference. Awesome. And uh, real great guy. So I'm looking forward to wrapping up the math here because I'm going to do something that's never been done before. Mm. Uh, I have a mathematical model using fairly simple equations. It's a set of equations, but I'm going to be able to predict the particle mass of the proton and the neutron. That's never been done before. And I'm going to prove it. And do it in such a way, I'm not even going to use, um, what are they called, um, <sighs> tuning parameters. What are tuning parameters? Well, even Einstein and Newton used tuning parameters for gravity, like the gravitational constant. Mm-hmm. Well, where did that come from? You know what? Nobody knows. <laughs> it's, it's some sort of hidden physics. You know, they derived it, though they didn't derive it, they... They empirically made some measurements and say, oh, the gravitational constant of this thing is we measured it, you know, and it's between here and here. We'll just pick the number in the middle, and that's gravitational constant. They use that to get the the equations correct, and it works, but we don't know why. Kind of like your same theory. And constant is used in Einstein's um, general relativity Mm -hmm. theory and those equations. So... He just described that bending, how mass can be used to bend that space, accurately uh, showing the deformation of space. So he knew there was still an ether, and he even talked about it in his in, in speeches and such. Right. Uh, so hmm. exciting! No, exciting! Yeah, yeah. yeah it, I mean, it, that's amazing. It, yeah, yeah. So I, hmm. I need to do that kind of work right now. That's what I'm focusing on is okay. is getting the science stuff out there backed up using their own formulas that they've had access to for over three and a half centuries (laughs) and never properly interpreted those formulas. I say these, what is math? Math is basically uh, a language for describing reality. Right. Uh, right. Unfortunately, nowadays it's become so abstracted. It really doesn't make sense anymore. And if you talk to quantum mechanics guys and you ask them to interpret their theory, you'll get dozens of different explanations, you know, how the reality works. Well, there's multiple particles all duplicated, all going in different paths all at the same time. And then they're 
No particle has a pro- property such as speed or, or location, and, and none of that makes any sense. So right. what I'm doing is dragging them back over the finish line, telling them, actually, science does make sense. And, and, so, and this is why. Yeah. And I'm going to yeah. prove it. Um, so that's what I'm working on right now. Yeah, that's that's actually phenomenal. Mark, we're going to take a quick break. Um, if you just want to stay tuned with us, we will come right back. Listeners, stand by. Believe in UFOs? Felt that chill up your spine that you just can't explain? Contemplate the other side of reality? Do you shake your head at the world that seems to have lost its common sense? Well, look no further than Strange Uncles. Find them on all podcast platforms and call their hotline to tell your side of reality at 801-252-6945. Open the gates. All right, and we are back uh, with Mark Fiorentino, and we were talking about so here's on my side, and, and again, John, Josh, everything dad by all means, but I am fascinated with quantum physics. I always have been because it's such this weird, it's a mysticism of science that nobody seems to understand. And I've tried to wrap my head around it, but I've got Montana education behind me. So that hasn't been successful. However, you mentioned that in your book about quantum physics and you have a stance on it and you talked about it a little bit before the break. Do you, can you talk about that a little bit more? about quantum physics and just why well, that that's not really I, maybe where we need to be searching? Well, how we got into this whole subject, which I, I don't know that I ever fully, fully answered your question. I answered mm-hmm. half of it. Th- that's one reason why people haven't discovered this stuff. The other reason is the, the United States government is keeping it quiet. Why are they keeping it quiet? The main reason they keep it quiet, it gives them a strategic military advantage. So that's the mm-hmm. other reason to, to finish up answering your other question. Mm-hmm. It's not in their best interest, the United States government, to tell everybody we got anti-gravity machines and we have UFOs of our own. Because let's face it, those machines can fly circles around the best aircraft and missiles we have. Yeah. Yeah, and to an extent <laughs> on that, don't want to lose that advantage. I, I don't think any government wants that, let alone the United States. That's just <laughs> government in general. Right. So, so, you know, that's 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 why that is. OK, now, getting back okay. to your other question, let's go over that. What was that? I kind of got off track here. And I got no, you're fine. Um, just wanted to kind of recap the idea of quantum physics with you. You know, oh. you, you mentioned that in your book a bit. Um, I do. I just want you to mention that to listeners because I found it kind of fascinating. Yeah, it, it's the battle started between Einstein and, and Niels Bohr back in the 19. 19- 20s, I guess it started maybe there back in that time. And, you know, Bohr and Heisenberg and, and those guys, they, they were all just thrilled about quantum mechanics because they seemed to be getting right answers for particular types of experiments, you know, having to do with particles. Because let's face it, probabilities, which is what quantum mechanics is built upon entirely, <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and statistics, mm-hmm. uh, this works good for figuring out, you know, the average particle interaction. If you, you know, use an accelerator and you smack something a million times, you know what? That that math will give you the, the spread <laughs> and the layout, the bell curve or whatever that 
gives you very precise predictions on how many of these things, events you're going to have, how many of these, what kind of particles you can make by doing this mm-hmm. works really great. And, and somehow that turned into a reality for scientists and physics. Uh, okay. As it, you know, it just became like a religion to that. Right. It's, and, it's stuck and, and just never went really away. really don't like a lot of them. The more successful ones have an open mind or whatever, but there's a lot of guys that I've encountered, not a lot, you know, a few, that get really mad when you when you challenge quantum uh, physics. I mm-hmm. mean, I, I've been banished from certain places because <laughs> I dared to question it. And, it's funny how close-minded scientists can actually be. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, this guy's a regular physicist. He won't let me answer questions on Qora anymore. He, he minimizes my answers right away, within seconds. Amazing. And, you know, I didn't say anything mean to him. I just said I thanked him for his, his answer, and his answer helped me with something that I had a question about. But what he didn't like was he was kidding with his answer, but it was true. And it made yeah. physicists look bad. And the more I liked it, the angrier it got to the point where he just wouldn't talk to me anymore. Hmm. So it's a problem. And we're holding ourselves back. And I call it basically an intellectual uh, ignorance, a deliberate attempt not to know something because you just don't want to believe it's true. Yeah. And baffles me. That just baffles me. And how many years is that going to set us back, you know? Oh, yeah. Well, 200 years you know we may get there but we could have got there 20 years prior we like solved, we should have solved the gravity problem in around 1970 somewhere in that decade mm-hmm. and, and here Einstein we are, didn't you know. solve it because he didn't know about the quarks and if he had known about the quarks he knew he knew the secret to gravity and he even um i i have a passage here and i read it on a lot of the shows he discovered he calls it his happiest thought. He discovered what the real mechanical cause of gravity was. Before this this idea came about, really nobody knew. And it goes like this. It's from Amir DXL's book, God's Equation. Einstein, this is his happiest thought. Einstein followed the line of reasoning that began with the happiest thought of his life. Still at the Swiss patent office, he conducted one of his famous thought experiments. Einstein imagined a circle spinning in space. The center of the circle did not move, but its circumference was moving quickly in a circular direction. Einstein compared what happens in several reference frames, a standard tool he had used in developing the special relativity theory. And here's the important part. He concluded using his special relativity that the boundary of the disk contracted as it spun. There was a force acting on the circle at the boundary, the centrifugal force, and its action was analogous to that of the gravitational force. But the same contraction that affected the outer circle left the diameter unchanged. Thus, Einstein concluded in a way that surprised even him, the ratio of the circle to the diameter was no longer pi. This means that space is bending. It's contracting. He says it right there. And then he knew that he needed to look for a geometry because a, a dynamical geometry, and I found that geometry through a, a lady who had a near-death experience. There it is. It's oh. this. This is what's going on inside of the neutron and proton. This is called a trefoil hmm. knot. 
It's a three-dimensional object. Hmm. There's three quarks in there. They're moving, and I calculated this the other day, 99.995% the speed of light. They're moving at that speed, and they're moving in an accelerated pattern because it's a circular motion. Acceleration, Einstein determined, is the same thing as gravity. I'm linking all this for you. I'm showing you that he says this accelerated motion, the spinning disk, is a, it's a circular motion. It's accelerated. He said acceleration is the same thing as gravity. So I'm, I'm making the final link. This acceleration causes gravity because when it does this, any particle, any spinning disk, whatever, it increases in mass. That's how mass is made. Mass doesn't happen if there isn't something moving. All mass, gravity, inertia all come about as a result of inertial mass increase, motion, particles in motion, and an accelerated unbalanced charges and accelerated motion cause space to contract. It's just that simple. That's gravity. I'll be damned. Huh. <laughs> I, I I really don't know what to say about that. I think I mean, you're the uh, smartest person I've ever talked to in my life. <laughs> it, it is pretty you know, phenomenal. It took me, you know, it took me decades uh, to figure it out. God. But I kept listening to Einstein. I kept reading about. I always looked for these mind experiments and these interpretations because that's how you model mathematics that'll work. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. have to have a working mechanical model that you work from to derive your equations. So I kept reading and looking for these clues and I linked, I just linked them together over the years. And, you know, I started having my happiest thoughts. The slip wave was my (laughs) happiest thought. I got that at work looking at this chart here. I used to sit between jobs, you know, fixing computers. And I'd look at this chart here and I'd say, why all these particles have mass in the standard model, but the photon? Photon it's made of the same stuff as all the other particles. It's an electromagnetic field. They're all electromagnetic fields. Yet all the other particles have some sort of mass except the photon. And I said, well, ask some questions, Mark. Well, what is it doing different than the other particles? And sure enough, it is doing something different. It travels in a straight line at a constant rate of speed, the speed of light. Mm-hmm. It doesn't accelerate. And I had my happiest thought. I said, my God, this confirms it. God left us a clue, the photon. It moves through space in a straight line at a constant rate of speed. Therefore, there's no contraction around in and around that particular particle. So it has zero mass. All the other particles have angular momentum, all of them. They're, you know, electrons, quarks. Except for Anything that's out there is, is unbalanced charge, and unbalanced charges don't travel straight through space. They do this orbital thing, and that's acceleration, and that makes mass. So that was my happiest thought. I said, I got it. I know what, what for sure makes mass now and what doesn't. It's mo- particles in motion, and it's motion through the ether. It causes the space to contract and bend around the particles, everyone but the photon. That's amazing. That absolutely is amazing. Um, let's, and I'm sure that this is going to lead us to the same, what we've been talking about. Time travel, Mark. When we think about that, we think, well, obviously, you know, that's something that, that you know, everybody, it's been, a, uh, something that's been talked about for 
centuries almost. Um, your thoughts on that? Yeah, time travel. Uh, I write about it. I write about time in one part of the book. I explain why we have time here in a physical dimension and why we don't have time in the hereafter, you know, heaven. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if you guys believe in that or not, but I can tell you it's real. It's true. <laughs> there is a God. So over there, the many, many thousands, millions of people now have had near-death experiences say, hey, you know, there's no time over there. It's outside of time. Oh. Hmm. And, and we've definitely heard good. that before. Yeah. Yeah. And, but here we definitely have something that appears to be time. <laughs> and I says, well, in order to have time, you, you've got to really have, you know, I'll get to time travel, but I want to explain how time. Oh, works sure. Yeah, absolutely. yeah, for sure. Please. In order to, to have the, what's the word? The, the illusion of time, <laughs> You have in the physical realm, any physical realm, you have to have a material substance to traverse. In other words, space has to be made of something real. Right. You can't travel from point A to point B in space. There's nothing in between. If it's really nothing, how much time does it take to get from point A to point B? Distance equals rate times time. If I don't have any real distance between these two points, it takes zero time to get from here to here. Why? Because there's nothing there to yeah. travel across. How, how do you even measure? We never that? see right. that happen. Hmm. We see that, that a light beam takes time to travel through space because yeah. there's really there's something there. There's a medium there. And it takes a finite amount of time because the speed of light itself is moving at a finite number. It's not infinite. So if it were infinitely fast, uh, the only way it could do that is there would be nothing there. And then any rate would be infinitely fast. But that we don't have that. So we have time. Time emerges as a result of space being real. No space that's no real, no time. And, and if you have infinite speed, then you have no time. So we, we can't have those two things here until later how I discovered things, how to beat the system. And, and, mm-hmm. and it gets a little bit complicated, but the system can be beat. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, you can go infinitely fast using the slip wave. Uh, but that still doesn't really affect time for right. other people. Or even time for you, because time becomes absolute now. Mm-hmm. If it takes you, if you're going at nearly infinite, let's just say you're going 50,000 times the speed of light and you go to the next star, which will take you maybe 15 or 20 minutes to get there. It takes you 15 or 20 minutes in your time and the same time on Earth. Uh, forget all the Lorenz transformations, because they all get bent out of shape because the math changes because of the slip wave. Mm-hmm. Uh, special relativity has to be extended now. now we got to do work to extend special and general relativity to accommodate the changes in space, but space is really no longer absolute. Einstein proved that with general relativity. You can bend it. You can concentrate it. It's not absolute. It can be changed. So I'm just changing it in the other direction. So when this uh-huh. happens... Time changes. Let me put it to you another way. (laughs) Let's just say we're in space. We have two points, A and B. Uh And we have a perfectly smooth field of gravity here. 
uh, or no gravity. It, you'll get a constant rate of motion. But let's say we put a gravitational field on this, this end here, strongest here, weakest here. And then we shoot a light beam through that. That light beam will slow down. We know that's a, that's a mm-hmm. scientific fact. Mm-hmm. Light slows down in a gravitational field. But does it really? All that's really happened is there's more stuff because of the contraction of space. It's compressing space, and it's going through more space. But it looks like the same distance, but there's more stuff in here now. So that when that beam shoots through there, it takes longer to get through. More proof, more evidence that space is a real physical object. So, so kind of like how light and sound travel slower through water than they do through air, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Okay. More evidence. Mm-hmm. The denser the medium, the slower light travels. Wow. I'm not saying anything that we already don't know. Well, right. We know this stuff. <laughs> we just fail to interpret it properly. Right. Well, so, well, now, that's time. Okay. That's why we have time in the physical realm. But you wanted to go back in time, then you got to use the Stargate, which I kind of heard about through the grapevine. So I wrote a chapter on it. In my second book, I'll give you the details about how I heard about it. Mm. <laughs> and it's astonishing. Wow. But I was given some clues, and I researched those clues. And sure enough, uh, I found a technology that could be used to build a Stargate. And really? if you have this technology, and at the very first part, you'll get to this chapter. It's the second to the last chapter. Mm-hmm. When you get there, the very first thing I say at the beginning of the chapter, if you want to build a time machine or a machine that you can travel through other dimensions and or other great distances, you're going to have to make something that moves faster than the speed of light. Some particle mm-hmm. is going to have to be accelerated beyond the speed of light because you use that to tune space. So let's say you have a framework, uh, the Stargate framework. So emitting, being emitted from that inward, uh, there's going to be, let's say they use light particles, photons. The material in the Stargate is composed of something that I now believe is what they're using, that the United States probably already has this technology too. I believe they're using something called fractal lenses, What's a fractal lens? A fractal lens is made of a metamaterial. What's a metamaterial? Metamaterial is, if you go on to ResearchGate, it's been discovered and invented. It's a material that changes the permittivity and permeability within a particular solids or whatever that they use, they make. It's a pattern that -hmm. they assemble to change the permittivity and permeability of space. Why does that matter? Well, the speed of light was determined by James Clerk Maxwell is determined by permeability and permittivity. By this equation, C equals, the speed of light equals 1 over the square root of permeability times permittivity. So Maxwell figured it out eons ago why the speed of light is the number it is. So, And again, permeability and permittivity are tuning parameters that they kind of just discovered by making measurements what they were in free space. And so he then did the math. If that's the case, then this is like light traveling through space is like sound waves in a way. And, you know, he used the same technique that they determined sound waves, and he used it to determine the speed of light. And sure enough, it worked. 
Right. And um, so hmm. this material, this meta material, also called left-handed material, I don't know why they call it that, but um, <laughs> can be used to accelerate photons. They come out of this thing. Now they hit regular space and they cause a shock wave when they do that. And it tunes, it compresses to the point there's a vibration that's ultra high frequency. And that's how they tune the space in order. And the physics that goes beyond that, I, I still don't understand. I would need some really smart physicists working with me and saying, how does this exactly create, you know, these openings? Because if you want to time travel, let's say go back in time. God help us. That's a bad idea, but I'm sure they're doing it. Um, if you want to go back in time, then you got to really hit the space hard with, with this um, force beam, or it's not really a beam, it's a wave mm-hmm. that's coming out. And then maybe you, you enhance that by oscillating the air with the high-frequency sound. So you got a combination there that creates a resonant frequency. And what you do is you create a portal opening. You don't actually, you know, like in the old movie where the guy sits in the time machine and everything's going backwards. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> it yeah. doesn't happen. Why? Because time is all happening. All of time is happening at the same moment. This is the only way a time machine can actually work. If you want to get to another time, then all you got to do is open a portal from this time to another time segment, either forward or backward in time. So mm. it's doable, if you have this technology, and of course, that's my most highly speculative chapter, but I would love to work with the guys that are working with that because it would be cool because you should be able to tune this system like a radio to, to any frequency that you desire so that you can go forward or backward in time. And you just walk mm-hmm. through this thing like you walk through a door. Yeah, I, I was going right to say. to another dimension or another time. Be really cool. Frequencies you need a massive a amount of funding and a team of <laughs> scientists to help you with this. Yeah, and people with open mind. That's I think that's yeah. had most uh, of that's the problem. What I need people well, with open the, the mind. open mind is key for sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, I really, really want to work on the anti-gravity. I want in my book in the later chapters I talk about the supercar, and I really want that to be something everybody has. And I talk about the things you can do. Not, not only is it convenient and wonderful for people to be able to go to other parts in the world in a matter of a few short minutes. I could go from Florida to Tahiti in five or ten minutes. Mm-hmm. But I'm going to be moving at 50 or 60,000 miles per hour. And, you know, that's pretty tricky. Mm-hmm. Uh because uh, you don't want to hit anything going at that speed. So you've got to develop a whole worldwide network or satellites, positioning, global positioning, you know, and you've got to fly a horse like a person does with an airplane. You just can't, woo, woo, taking off. And you've got millions of people doing that. They're going to hit each other eventually. Hmm. Uh, so I would like to create this technology so that it keeps humanity safe because the Earth isn't going to go on forever. At some point, sooner or later, either there's going to be a meteor or a really big super volcano or something worse that happens that's going to make this planet unhabitable. And we need to be able to get off this planet. We need to have people on other worlds already just in case. And we need to be able, you know, like the Noah's Ark kind of thing, mm-hmm. get the heck out if something bad's going to happen. Or at least 
we could use the technology to put up drones that push away any incoming meteors or comets or whatever. Uh-huh. As yeah. long as we do not have this technology, we're not safe. We could be wiped out at any time. Right, right. Well, and you Ask know what? the dinosaurs. <laughs> I will say, you know, I'm not really so much worried about natural disasters. And yeah, you're absolutely right. We're this ball of rocks spinning in space. Um, but we're not doing a too shabby of a time on our own trying to bring this world to an end, too. You know, it's kind of <laughs> yeah, kind yeah, of a shame. Yeah. You know, so either way you look at it, you know. Right. Um, absolutely amazing, Mark. I, I, you know, we'll run a little bit at a time, but we want to give you, first of all, for the listeners, again, his book, uh, Master Reality. Um, despite this whole episode, you, you've been fantastic explaining, laying things out. The one thing you do specify in the book, and, and I really love anybody to pick it up because you do a very, very good job laying it down in layman terms. Right. Very easy to read, very easy. Look, this is what I think of. This is what I came up with. And this is why. And you explain it in different ways for any kind of anybody who might be interested in this on any level. And I, I just, I really appreciate that because that takes work as a writer to do that. It takes a lot of patience, you know, for you to think, get out of maybe what you think and your calculations and your thoughts and how you hear things and put it into a terminology that maybe, you know, your average show such as us would, uh, would pick up on. So, you know, kudos for I, you on that. Yeah. I rewrote each chapter at least 10 times. I, I can imagine. I absolutely can imagine. Um, do you have anything to promote, anything on your side that we can help you with at all? Uh, yeah. Any I'm parting looking, wisdom? I, well, <laughs> I, I could tell you one thing we didn't touch on, and I think it's really cool and interesting that's in the book, is that I also made a discovery concerning the sun. Uh when you get to the last chapter in the book or the last set of chapters, it's cosmology chapters. Mm-hmm. They're right before the last chapter. And um, there's three chapters in cosmology. And I talk about the beginning of the universal cycle and the end. And I reworked it so that the Big Bang actually makes sense now. And it really all center, centers around the neutron. And uh, oh. realizing that the giant cosmic aid is really egg is really just a neutronium seed or a giant uh, black holes are made of neutronium, which is basically solid neutrons uh, compacted to a tremendous level. And they're built and designed just to be able to do that. Neutrons can do that. Protons can't. So they can be compacted like that. And what I discovered is that when the Big Bang happened uh, and the neutronium burst back out, there wasn't just a lot of neutronium gas, but there was neutronium spheres of all sizes, some as black hole size, some smaller, as small as maybe um, a basketball or something. And all these spinning spheres formed, uh, were the seeds that formed uh, the stars and the planets. So I'm saying that the sun, all stars have neutronium cores and whatever. Uh And if you doubt that, just look at one when it blows up, what's left. Always either a neutronium core or a black hole, which is made of neutronium in my book, my uh, personal opinion. Interesting. Um, The, the explosion didn't make the neutronium or the neutron star. It was already there. What it did is 
became unstable and it blew off its atmosphere. The reason you get an atmosphere that doesn't fall into the neutronium is because it's spinning rapidly. And when that happens, you get frame dragging. And so the gases orbit and don't ever really fall into the neutronium core. And so they become thicker and thicker and more and more pressurized, and that starts the fusion process. So I am certain, and if you look at NASA's measurements, they clearly say there's something solid inside the sun. It's just a matter of interpreting it and accepting that uh, that's true. And I go over that in the book and I say, hey, the sun is all stars. The galaxy centers are giant black holes made in neutrinos. And these all came out at, at the time of the Big Bang. And without this, it would have never happened. And why is it neutrons? Because there's something special that made me suspicious about neutrons. They're different than the proton. The proton, you can isolate it in outer space, and it never decays. It goes, it lives for billions of years. But if you isolate a neutron within 15 minutes, it turns into a proton and electron. Hmm. And what's that? That's hydrogen. And what do you need to build stars? Lots of hydrogen. So the fuel that came out was naturally made to turn into hydrogen, all the, the neutronium gas. So that's the message I want to I want to give to the world. It's amazing. I, I, I worked it out, and, and the stars, all stars are created this way, you know, and it explains the gap that's in astrophysics right now. So they never could figure out why the gases, the repulsive force of the uh, proton and the electron is orders of magnitude stronger than the gravitational pull. They should never form dense clouds and start a fusion process. Something had to pull that gas together and right. pressurize right. it. And huh. that's the only reasonable explanation that I could come up with. And it was, to me, it makes sense. Uh, their explanation, they know doesn't really make sense. But that's wow. kind of a cool thing that's in the book that I'd like to get out there because I think they could do some experiments to determine this. For sure. Well, there's a lot of cool things in the book besides that. I mean, it's just, it's amazing. You know, it's a great read. Um, I'm definitely going to finish it from what I cite. So again, uh, Mark uh, Fiorentino, thank you so much for coming on. Master Reality is your book. Uh, you have a website here, if anybody wants to check it out, at www.super-relativity.com. Uh, and I think we can follow you on Twitter, too, at MarcoF7704. Is that correct? Yeah, I never use it, but money do you say that? <laughs> well, it's I here, think so, I might know. use it someday. I, yeah, yeah. I, I don't even know how it works, really. I've got to study it and see if it's something I yeah. could use. Neither but. do we. So, you know, it's what it is. <laughs> but anyway, it has been amazing having you on. I mean, honestly, it, it's it's kind of, I've got to, I feel personally, I've got to process a lot of what we <laughs> what we mm-hmm. discussed to make sense out of it. Yeah, um, I'm going to have to listen back to this a couple times. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. It was amazing, though. Yeah. So, Thank you. It's a privilege to talk to you. So thank Absolutely. you. Yeah, thank Absolutely. you for your time for thank sure. You, Mark. And if you want to just hang online with us after we get in recording and uh, we'll do a quick thank you to you and uh, we'll go from there. Gentlemen, that was Mark Fiorentino. Thank you, sir. All right. You know, and again, I listen back to the interview and then I go, wow, I still have to hear it again. 
because I'm not too sure on some <laughs> some of the thing. I tried really hard to shake my hand and go, yeah, I and you know, so one thing in the book, and I said it during the interview, I read the book about halfway through, and let me know, guys, if you want to borrow it. I mean, I mean, it's a it's fantastic read. I, I started like last week, so I didn't really have enough time to to bite a lot out of it. Um, he hit some great points, you know, we took anti-gravity he talked about, uh, you know, the slip wave theory he talked about, but what's really cool is just, he really, he says it one way and then he breaks it down another way. It's, it's a lot easier to kind of understand and, and that helps, that helps to read that helps kind of how it's kind of broken down and how he structured the book. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'd like to check it out. Yeah, definitely. I would love for him to be able to get in a lab get some funding and actually be able to work on some of these ideas and things, because this is where science shines and like blows, like changes the world is these thinkers like this that have maybe even if some scientists think he's crazy. I mean, some of the stuff was a little over my head, but also it's like, yeah, run with that. And and, and I actually think there's a lot of validity to what he says just for the simple fact that there's a bunch of scientists that are like, no, no, you, yeah, be yeah, quiet. you're wrong, 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 right. Be quiet, right. you be quiet, you. So, like, yeah. that makes yeah. me like, oh, yeah. so no, roll with that mm-hmm. because that those are the free thinkers that change the world. Yeah, yeah I, would, I would like there to be a little bit more of like the mad scientist or like the, uh, the I, I would like. I would like what we consider like actual, like proper science to be less structural and more, mm-hmm. uh, more willing to look at things that challenge what our, what our conventional what the accepted views are. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like, because I, I remember watching like some shit about quantum physics on like Nova or something. And you had like Brian green and like, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson and a bunch of other like prominent physicists and astrophysicists and, quantum physicists all kind of arguing about what it actually is and it i mean at least at that time like 10 or 15 years ago it seemed like they didn't fucking know either you know what i mean so like okay if nobody really knows and it's all theory and none of it is like law or provable fact or whatever like let's go back to how i learned the scientific method at lake ridge elementary school where it's you know uh it's it's a theory until you prove that it's the same every time, right? So exactly. that leaves yeah. open room for questioning things and the status quo and stuff. Well, and, and that's what Mark Question said. Question you know. everything. <laughs> right, exactly. Calm down, Mulder. But that's Bring exactly what research. Mark was talking about. It's one of those where, you know, you, you've got this <laughs> the quantum and quantum physics – like I said in the interview, it's always amazed me because it's something new. It's weird. It's just nobody's kind of wrapped their mind around it. Well, maybe they haven't mi- wrapped their mind around it because they don't understand it themselves. And it's just something that's there. Mm-hmm. And there's so many well, scientists that are just flying in the breeze, you know. And and there are missing pieces to it, too. Like Mark mentioned Einstein not being able to resolve uh, his unified theory mm-hmm. uh, because he, we didn't know about quarks yet. Right. right. Um, and and that, right. that's what he thinks ties everything together. But like in those uh, sp- like science for the dummies that I watched with all of those guys that I just mentioned, like they were even still saying the same things. Like when you get down to the quantum level and you're looking at like subatomic particles, uh, it, none of it follows relativity. It's all different. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. So like, and, and that's why no one's been able to like really come up with a unified theory 
about yeah. any of it is because well, one set of yeah. one set of measurements contradicts the other ones. Yeah. So and, which and one's right, or how do you get them to line up? Right. Yeah, absolutely agreed. And and I and then you add to the fact that you have scientists that are out there just trying to save their. Uh, you know, the funding, what they're working on, their projects, tenure. they don't want to put that, the tenure, they don't want to put that in jeopardy. And and that's where you start closing the doors. You know, well, and it's and, a shame. And once, once you learn something as established theory, fact, practice, whatever, it's really hard to change that. That's just like human nature. You know what oh, I mean? Agreed. Agreed. But I think like if you, you have any, if you have any group of people and and again, this is not me. I'm not judging at all. It's just me just kind of, you know, this I'm is kind of what I, <laughs> you might judge you, McJudgerton over there. But this is one of those things where, you know, if you, you, if any group of people should have the most openness mind in the world to accept as things go, as technology advances, as we discover more, it should be the scientific realm, period. End of discussion. Always an open mind, always open platforms, always ideas to try well, to see what's what. You know, I mean, it's like, think about it this way. Um, how many times when you were doing math homework in high school or whatever, did you get the right answer the wrong way? You know what I'm saying? Like, no, so, yeah. which is yeah. why you have to show your work, right? So that they can yeah. make sure that you got the answer the way that they wanted you to get it. But like, I guess the point I'm trying to make is just because what we consider to be mainstream hard science now is, is getting to certain conclusions Um, and they're all basing it off what they've all come to agree on is, is how the universe works. That doesn't mean that's how it works. That could just be that they all used maybe not the right method to get the right answer to, to get the same answer. Yeah, it does. And that's an, that's a very fair perspective, you know, absolutely. I guess. And also like, if you get to the same answer a different way, is it which one's right, which one's wrong, if you get the same answer. Well, and I think what upsets me more than anything is a pe- like when he was talking about some word. No, 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 no. Just shut the door. You don't understand. Those are the ones. You mm-hmm. don't understand what I'm. You nope. You're wrong. Like the, it's automatically the roads ended. Excuse you know? me, sir. I didn't see a PhD after your name. <laughs> yeah. So touche, right? <laughs> so hit the road, anyway. Jack. Just, you know, absolutely amazing. So, you know, listeners, uh, by all means, you know, let us know about uh, about Mark's theories. I mean, I mean, and and actually, if you are a Patreon member, we're going to try to put the video and it was at his request, by the way, we don't usually do this, but um, he requested to have it up so he can link it. So if you are a Patreon member, we'll have just that interview snippet. Um, on there, we'll provide a link to you guys. Uh, he did have some PowerPoints and other things that he presented, which really breaks down like the the split wave that he was talking about or the slip wave. Mm-hmm. Um, he broke that down a bit. Um, regular listeners, you know, unfortunately, you won't have that. If you do want to have that, you can become a Patreon at patreon.com slash strange uncles. Uh, your money. Yeah. <laughs> And if you have anything just to add to the conversation, you know, questions that maybe follow up, uh, we find a lot of times the guests that we have on the show just would love to come back on the show. Mm-hmm. And that would be an opportune time to do that. You know, you can go ahead and write us to strangeuncles at gmail.com. You can call us at 801-252-6945 and let us know. Um, how are we on social? Uh, same old places. Uh, Strange Uncles podcast on Facebook and Instagram. Um at strange uncles on Twitter. Uh, speaking of video, we do have a YouTube channel. We used to put the video from, uh, these recording sessions up there. Um, and as you mentioned, Shane, you can join Patreon to see the video of this particular 
interview. If that's something that you regular listeners are interested in, please let us know and we'll reconsider uh, doing that more regularly going forward. The reason we stopped was because no one cared and it was kind of a lot of work. So. Yeah, we didn't see the numbers really go anywhere. So we went, well, we can cut this out of our labor yeah. of love. Yeah, so. but if, uh, you know, if that's something you guys would like to see, maybe we just were like ships passing in the night. Um, let us know. And, uh, if we get enough people wanting to see that stuff, we'll give it another shot. Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, it's always been fun again, you know, spent all last weekend with you guys and still want to spend time with you. It's amazing. Hopefully we can get another trip kind of knocked out before I'm out. And then of course, you know, we're not going to lose contact. We'll keep this up and, you know, COVID's going well. Everything's going good. Mark was amazing. I, I don't know. I don't have anything else to kind of add. It's amazing how long it took me to uh, recover from a completely sober <laughs> and uh, adult um, trip. road trip. It was yes. really weird. Yes, yeah, that sir. is strange. Yeah, that's odd. You know, I you took the next day off, and, and I probably should have just so I can uh, – you know, go through my saints and you know my scriptures and everything that well, I. Well, you know, to I mean, the tis the day. season. Had to had yeah. to prepare for you know the good Lord rising. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, exactly. yeah. So, anyway, you know, John, you got anything? I do not. Um, stay strange. Stay strange, everybody. Close the gates.